Well, welcome back, Fungal Banner fans, to another episode of your Pacific Northwest Fungal Banner podcast. I am Eric Sorensen, as always, about to be joined by Kelly Gal and Jason Jarrett here momentarily. Hey, we're super pumped to have on this for a new episode for us. The 2019 Northwest Conference Coach of the Year, head coach of Whitworth University, C.J. Perry. It's a great interview. I hope each and every one of you enjoy this one. I know you will, and a lot to dissect from there. But before we dive into this episode, I'm sure if you've been following us on Twitter, you see what's going on. Follow us on Facebook. Teaming up, Washington State Coaches Association. We've been working together to come up with a coaches clinic February 3rd and 4th in Moses Lake, Washington, putting on a hands-on coaches clinic at The Six facility. If you haven't been there, it's quite amazing, right next to Big Bend Community College. Friday night hot stove discussions at the facility with a coach's social to follow. Saturday morning, starting off at 8 a.m., there's going to be a whole bunch of speakers talking all aspects of the game, including hands-on demonstrations, not your ordinary clinic of sitting at a table taking notes, but being able to see things firsthand live in person. It's going to be phenomenal. $50 a coach, 100 to bring your staff for one last coach's retreat, getaway before the season kicks off. WIAA and OSP clock hours will be available chance to connect with coaches from all over the state and just a great opportunity to gather with other coaches and talk some shop hotel discount offered at 10 pin in and suites first come first serve so just call 509-764-7500 and when you call to confirm your or order your hotel uh, let them know that you're with the washington state coaches association and coming for the coaches clinic at the sixth athletic facility there in moses lake to sign up for the clinic, go to www.allstatebaseball.com slash clinics and get signed up. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope to see all you guys there. Be awesome to put some uh, faces to the names of guys that we've talked to on here on Twitter and, and all our social media aspects. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on coach CJ Perry. All right, Fungo Banner fans, we're back with another guest, and we're fired up to have him. The 2019 Northwest Conference Coach of the Year, head coach of Whitworth University, C.J. Perry. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Coach Gal's coach been talking it up, so I'm fired up talking to finally it up. be yeah. here. <laughs> Damn right. Hey, and we got this, and we were just talking about this off the air. It's honestly the first time we've gone back-to-back episodes, but with a twist. Father of a son with Todd Gibson, followed by the head coach of the program. So I'm just saying parent coach relationship there must be good. I just, if you want to throw that out there for recruiting, I don't know. That's right. Well, chemistry, man. Can't, can't go wrong with the chemistry. That's right. Well, we always want to ask our first, our, our first question on each, each podcast. What's your favorite fungo? Uh, so I swing, I swing a 35 inch Vulo. Oh. Yeah. So shout out John Vulo. He, I mean, he makes all of our, uh, all of our bats. He lives right down the hill from campus. So, um, yeah, all, all of our wood bats we swing in the fall, and then all of our coaches fund those as well. But it's a good, it's a good stick. Uh, like, I think that's our first answer of that one. So like, that's is perfect. First, that is the first. Right, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. <clears throat> all right. So we always like to talk about your starting coaching. I know this question it, it it correlates with me too because I'm coaching at the school, the high school that I went to in Kittitas. But for you, it's it's you were is coaching college baseball and where are you at? Is that thought what you'd be doing? And what does it mean for you to be coaching at the program that you played at? And you, you put so much into and, and to be able to carry on the tradition and still be in that, that spot. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's super special. Um, I always joke with people, right? It's like you're kind of like the creepy high school guy that just keeps getting paid. So you never leave. You just keep coming to work every day and, uh, <laughs> you know, getting to throw BP and hanging out with the guys and hanging out in the weight room. And um, But I think it's something special because, you know, like those four years of college or those four years of high school were really transformative. Um, and to have the opportunity to go back to the place where you really matured and grew up and, and kind of get to extend um, – one, that same offer to recruits, but also then kind of get to just um, be around your guys and watch them mature and grow and be a really great resource for them is really special. So um, to be able to do that at a place that is so special to me and near and dear to my heart, um, I, like, I don't know, I think it, it's hard to beat. And I've, I've kind of vouched that I'll never work at another uh, another Northwest Conference school just because, you know, you got to bleed the crimson and red and you got to live that every day. And it's just such a special place. So um, yeah, a super blessed to be, be in that position to be able to give back, um, from the place that gave me so much. When you, when you finished playing, did you think that this is where you would be right now? Honestly, no. I, I mean, I thought when I, I went to school for, uh, I was a kinesiology major, secondary ed major as well. So I, I thought for sure I, you know, I'd be teaching PE somewhere and, um, and coaching the high school level. So, um, I always like knew I wanted to coach, but I didn't think that, that that would ever take me kind of to the college game. Coach Perry, you know, you, you were a player, like we were just talking about transition to an assistant coach. Now you're transitioned to the head helmet there at Whitworth. I mean, what kind of advice do you have for those coaches out there who are assistant coaches that are maybe transitioning this spring into a new position as a head coach uh, out of, at a, you know, from assistant position to a head coach position? What kind of advice would you have for those listening, the things that maybe worked for you and maybe didn't? Yeah, I think uh, the first thing, like, to kind of preemptively answer this, like, as an assistant, I think you need to do everything that you can at the school. Um, I mean, like, you know, volunteer to work at basketball games, go to all the Christmas parties, um, you know, like kind of make yourself a Swiss army knife, because I think um, there's something to be said about that guy that's willing to go the extra mile and, and do kind of the the jobs that might not be super sexy. Uh, but definitely like people begin to associate you with the baseball program and you being around and you being a guy that, that helps other people out. So I think, you know, to the assistants out there that want to be head coaches, um, I would say do the kind of do the dirty work, do the jobs that aren't easy and then be with the head coach as much as you can. Because I think, um, the biggest, at least for me, that biggest kind of transition, um, when coach Ramsey was in here, he, he made me kind of sit in on every single meeting he was in uh, department meeting, recruiting meeting, all that type of stuff. So I kind of had an idea of when I was moving into the head coaching role, like what this actually was, what it, what it entailed. Um, and if I hadn't have done that, you know, like at our, at our level, fundraising is an absolute beast. You know, I'm sure with you guys too at the high school level, um, if I wouldn't have had that background knowledge of like of fundraising and um, all those types of things, I really would have kind of been in a tough spot. So um, for those assistants out there, like, you know, don't be, don't be uh, too proud to work for free and, and kind of do those little jobs because they really do set you up for good opportunities. But um, I think the biggest thing like for, for assistants that want to transition to, into the head coaching role, I think is um, as a head coach, you have more responsibilities, but you have more freedom with your hours typically. Um, at least that's how it's out at Whitworth. And um, my big struggle was um, when I first moved into that role, I had a really tough time kind of figuring out 
when I should be in the office, for how long, where I should go, like kind of all those time management things because there was this new freedom that I had that I didn't really know how to manage. And so mm. what I would say to all the new head coaches out there is um, one, keep your keep your priorities in line, like know what's most important when you go into the office every day, depending on the time of year it is, um, depending on what the other hats you wear um, at, your, at your school or at your university. Um, and then work like an assistant. Uh, I, I think like, you know, when, when you're an assistant, you're hungry and you want the head job. When you get, when you get to be a head job, like I found the first couple of years, I was just kind of like, oh, this is, this is cool. Like the paycheck's nice. This is easy. I get to create my own schedule. And I kind of personally just lost some hunger in there. Um, and so for me, it was a little bit more of a, hey, I got to flip the switch so I can stay on this and um, continue to really thrive and grow in, in, in my profession and um, just stay hungry in, in, in terms of that. So when you're a head coach, work like you did when you were an assistant. Um, stay humble and, and, and keep uh, keep your nose to the grindstone. Coach, to kind of spin off on that, we, we really have never kind of discussed this, but the kind of the balance of the home life, right? Yeah. You know, we know yeah. that coaching takes a lot of time and, you know, and anything that we do invest in, you're so dove in, you know, you could spend probably 20 hours, you know, at your job there recruiting, doing paperwork or whatever it is. How did you transition through that home life? I know you got a couple of young kids at home now and, and you and you have a wife, but you know, that's another big thing why a lot of guys don't coach because they can't find that healthy balance. So what, what were things that worked for you that you could share with us for in yeah, those yeah. trying so they, to kind of figure that out. Yeah, I mean, I think on the family side of things, um, one thing that we do, uh, and this is this is a spiritual thing, but it's also kind of bled into um, uh, being like kind of a product, you know, productivity thing as well. So we do the Sabbath every week, so we celebrate the Sabbath. So, you know, on the Sabbath, you you don't work. We we, we turn the phones off, we put them away, um, we spend the whole day with the family, and that way the family knows that you're going to be there for 24 hours. You look forward to it, you know, like as a guy who's who's always on your phone, like looking at different things. Um, and that's been something I think that's really been great to just set the boundaries of like. Hey, this is what we do, you know, on Saturday into Sunday, every single week. Um, and your family has that to rely on. You have that to rely on that just to rest and then to look forward to. Um, I think the other thing, you know, especially to young coaches that are looking to get married and have a spouse is just over communicating your schedule. Um, you know, cause there's a lot of days at the yard where, you know, you're, yeah, sure. You're, you're playing a double header, you're playing two nines. Right. But what happens if a kid wants to come into your office and talk to you after the game, right? That there's just, there's kind of like all those little things that uh, when you're a single guy, like, yeah, you can talk, you can talk to the assistant coaches for two hours in the locker room after the game and break everything down. When you're married, it's pretty disrespectful to just be in hanging out with the boys for two extra hours when you got to put the kids to bed. So um, I think just setting those boundaries uh, for, for what that looks like, and then just over communicating with your spouse and, and with your kids. And I think the last thing is too, is we have a really cool opportunity to make our kids and our family a part of this journey um, and I, my kids are too young, but I'm really looking forward to taking my kids on some recruiting trips. Um, and, you know, and just, and just kind of pulling them into this thing and, and making them a part of it and, and having them take some ownership in the game as well. Just so, um, it becomes more about, you know, you can share your passions with them, but, but also not lose kind of that scope of, of family and not have that conflict between work and family. Um, so I, I guess that would, that would be my, my best advice to the, the family man baseball coach. 
I, and I can't agree with you more because there's a lady sitting outside this door out here that's going to say, <laughs> please over communicate when you know things are going on. And that if you do over communicate, it does give you a little grace period when there's an emergency actually happens. Right. And you have to take care of whatever situation it is. But, uh, and then, and to go off that, you know, I always like to have my girls are old enough now. Ellie's five now, right? And so she, she can be at practice. And I think it's so cool for the players to see what a dad is supposed to be like, right? Because not everybody has that. And, yeah. and and to create that more, even more of a family atmosphere within your program, I think that just helps with your culture in general. And, and it helps build the kids within your program and your own kids. I think, too, one, that, um, one of the coolest things, like, uh, that I've seen is like when I go, I went to a junior college game last, last spring and sure enough, like the head coaches kids were running around the yard, like jumping into BP groups, like shagging fly balls, you know? And like, I always thought I was like, you know, what I'm thinking about that. I was like, well, geez, wouldn't that be unprofessional, you know? Or, but it's like, at the same time, like I got out there and I saw that and I was like, man, like, this is so cool. Like the players are loving it. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's just a, a loose, like super family atmosphere. So that was one of those deals for me where I was like, oh man, like, can't wait for the kids to get out here and, and start running around and, and hanging out with these big boys and, and enjoying themselves. So looking forward to that for sure. CJ, during that transition of, of being pitching coach to head coach, um, did you find yourself trying to create new relationships with like the hitting group of guys that maybe didn't spend enough time around? And, and maybe how do you manage that now? I know you're a pitch guy. I'm more of a hit guy. Um, how do you manage your time to make sure that, that, you know, the, the, the position players feel like you're giving them as much attention and love as, as that pitch group. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I, um, I try to spend at least, um, 30 minutes with each position group throughout a week of practice. Um, and it typically comes in like individual defense days. So I'll try to jump in with our infield coach when, you know, they're doing like a modified 27 ounce drill or, or, or whatever, just so I'm like around those guys spending time with them and, and encouraging them. And I also think that's good too. you know, they see that you're around and that's important, but I also think it's important for, you know, us, right. Like as the head coach to be in there, because um, especially those freshmen in the fall, like you really do learn a lot about them and what motivates them, what doesn't motivate them, um, what they're good at, what they're not good at. So when you get into those, you know, those exit meetings or those player development meetings where you really have to get into kind of the nitty gritty about like what you do well and what you don't do well, you know, you really do have a frame of reference to talk to that as opposed to just relying on your hit guy to kind of carry the load. Um, and I think the players like that too, because there's a little bit of ownership in that as the head coach, right? Um, it's easy to like kind of be the boss and, and say like, Hey, here's what you need to do. But if you're not there to, to see that or, or to be there to encourage them or, or kind of help them buy in, then they're really not going to grab onto that too easily. So um, I just try to be intentional about the time I'm going to spend with each position group um, kind of week to week. Um, and, you know, just try to see everybody and, and have a conversation with everybody as much as I can. Yeah. And I guess off of that, like, how do you, uh, set expectations, I guess, from, from a, uh, you know, a hitting or infield or an outfield standpoint, um, do you find it easier to kind of set maybe benchmarks and goals for them to accomplish and then let them accomplish them that however they want? Um, are you more specific with, Hey, I want it to look this way or that way. Um, how do you manage that to, you know, let coaches coach, but at the same time, make sure that they're out of standard that, that is acceptable for you. 
Yeah, so I, I think um, that's something like going into the week of practice, especially um, when we're talking about an offense or like developing approach. So we'll we'll sit down with hitting coaches and basically go over, okay, we're going to see, you know, we're playing so-and-so this weekend. They're going to spin, you know, with less than two strikes 60% of the time. So let's develop an approach that we can go ahead and apply, and then we'll make objectives off of that, like, you know, today in the cage, basically what we're going to do, we want you to hunt the hanging breaking ball and release on it. And we want to see early in the count, maybe we track we track barrels a lot. So um, our objective is, is 60% barrels today in, in the cage off of that breaking ball machine. Um, that way, like the objective is the same, but you still have the hitting coaches kind of in there adapting that approach to the different strengths and swings of the player, right? So you're, you're not making a bunch of robots, but what you are doing is giving those guys the objective to reach, but it's their job to work within their own means, their own skill set to reach that objective. Um, so we're all on the same page, pushing in the same direction. But um, like I said, we're not just trying to create clones of one thing after the other. We're also giving those assistant coaches a little bit of flexibility to put their spin on, on how they want to teach that approach or, or reach that objective as well, which is, is nothing but a great thing. Yeah, I think it's always important to have have a consistent voice, right? And I think we've been a part of programs or teams in the past where you have, you know, three, four different hitting coaches and mm -hmm. two different pitching coaches giving a bunch of advice. And, you know, it creates kind of a disconnect between the team, the players, and the who am I listening to? Oh, I'm listening to that guy that told me to do this. The other one told me to do that. And yeah, I think if, if coaches can work on the same page to create those objectives and goals and then be hands off during the training element, mm -hmm. you know, and, and let them see that, you know, the, the hitting coach is the hitting coach right? behind the scenes. There might be some conversations of, Hey, I don't know about this or, Hey, we should emphasize this or that. But as far as the players know that everything is consistent. Right. And I yeah. think that's a really tough thing to have to manage. Yeah. Well, and I think one, two, one thing that's interesting too, like, I think, you know, the benefit to having multiple coaches is some guys just are going to gel with other guys or, you know, I think we all know this in coaching, right? It's like, you could be telling a kid the same thing for three years and then, somebody else comes in and says it different. And the kid's like, Oh man, like man, what? this guy's a genius. Like where is, where has he been? You know? So I think um, sometimes having like, just, just that like twist and verbiage or, you know, that twist in mentality or just having somebody maybe that that's new and fresh and um, can, can really benefit guys as well. Coach, when you have that sense of standard or what your expectations are in day in, day out, do you find that your guys work with each other quite a bit more for the interaction? I mean, just, I know you're going to have leaders of, you know, certain guys are going to step up, but how much interaction do you see that knowing that you have this standard at practice? Hey guys, this is what we're doing today. Yeah, I, quite a bit. Cause kind of when we do that stuff, we, we, we're always trying to compete. So we, you know, have team crimson team black. So th they're always kind of working in tandem um, to accomplish these goals, these objectives, whatever, and, and kind of piece it together. Um, just because what we've found is, um, you know, as you guys know, this too, right? It, motivation when you're thinking in concept of a team, like, hey, we have this goal to accomplish, really takes a lot of that, that like internal motivation and just kind of cranks it up through the roof, right? Um, we want those guys competing and being the best that they can, but we want them to be the best within the context of a team because we're going to put something on the line and they know that the guy next to them is going to work just that much harder in order to, to get to that, to that point. So um, yeah, it's, it's cool because they need that structure where they need a common goal, right. But not telling them how to get there, right. Or giving them the concept and then having them think kind of intellectually about, okay, 
within my approach, within my swing, or what pitches do I handle well? How can I put myself in the best situation to succeed and accomplish that task? Really does give them some ownership in it too. So I kind of like to think that it's like, you're just setting the environment and then you're letting those guys kind of pick it apart and figure it out for themselves. And then we're kind of coaching off of that, um, having known what those players are good at or aren't good at. Are you finding the players like, and I don't want to bring, keep bringing COVID into it, but I, we lost a lot of team sport time. Do, do, do you find them a little bit less task oriented or, or able to identify maybe why things are important and whatnot, where it's like, well, my exit velo is this, or, or I can throw this, so I'm good. Like, how do you, how do you balance that as a, maybe a younger player that doesn't get it as much when you're doing some of these drills where it's like, well, why is this important? Why do I have to be 60% when I can hit the ball hard this time? But it, it, are you finding it harder to maybe explain yourself why things are important now? I am. And I, um, I also think like kind of my theory within this is, you know, COVID, like, I don't know how it was for you guys, but we, we, our guys couldn't hang out off the field together. Right. So like, unless you lived with them, that was the only guy you hung out with. And so what I kind of found was just kind of a lack of awareness and problem solving skills, because anything that was like anything that was inconvenient wouldn't get done. And, you know, and, and so if you, if those guys really had to work through and process through something with somebody they didn't really know that well as a person, um, that model that I'm kind of talking about, yeah, doesn't really work that well. So it, it becomes like, okay, well, you know, like how do we get these guys around one another enough so then we can kind of have those intelligent conversations of like, this is why we need to do this. This is why this drill is important because we're going to see breaking balls. We're going to hammer them. That's going to help us score runs, which should in turn help us win as long as we pitch it well. So um, I would completely agree with that. And then it's kind of reframing. It's like, yeah, great. Your exit velocity off of the T is 104. It's like, that's sweet. So that means that you have some pretty good raw bat speed. So let's think about how that raw bat speed can express itself when we're hunting breaking balls early in the count, right? Like just kind of like taking that and like saying here is what we're doing as a team. This, this is what you're doing well this is how we can implement that, or this is how you can evaluate what you're doing to see if it's meeting the, the criteria. Yeah. And I know in the past and in some of our conversations, you know, you've made comments about trying to be a little bit more hands-off as far as in game yeah. and not being as micromanaging. Um, you, you want to talk a little about that as far as signs and giving guys freedom and maybe how that has worked or hasn't worked in the past for you for, you know, running an offense and, and those type of things without, you know, I'm sure enough of the Northwest Conference might be tonight, but not too much detail. Like, how, how have you found, like, just the same stuff we're talking about, giving that individual freedom and ownership. Um, has that made a better player for you? Has it created more teaching opportunities? Um, how have you kind of worked your way through that in the time doing those things? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, and for me, this has been a live or die situation, right? Like, we're kind of committed to the freedom. And, and what we mean by freedom is, um, my belief as like the head coach is that when we get to a weekend game, um, I should have an idea of, you know, who my pinch hitter is, who is coming out of the bullpen next, who my pinch runner is. I should, I should have a list of guys that I know I'm going to go to when stuff starts to get tight um, or out of hand for that matter. Right. But my goal ultimately on game days is to sit on a bucket and watch baseball. Um, because I believe that if you're, if your team, your nine guys on the diamond are truly are prepared for the demands of the game, they're not going to have to look in the dugout between every pitch, between every situation where a guy gets on base, right? They're not, they're going to have a better feel for, for the game 
what their strengths are as an individual player and what they need to do in order to execute in that situation. Um, so something that we do like early on in the season, everybody has a green light. So if, if you get on base, right, and, and you get your dirt ball read or you get your straight steal read, you take it. And if you get thrown out, then we kind of debrief it and talk about why that was either a good or a bad decision and we learn from it. Um, but the one thing we want to build into our guys is kind of a motor of aggression. Uh, we're looking for opportunities within the game um, to do what we as a player or as a team do well to establish that motor. Um, just because I, I think we all know, like as coaches, right, it's really, it's, it's a lot easier to slow a kid down than it is to speed him up. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to take a timid kid and turn him into a 50 base dealer guy unless he's just an absolute burner. Um, and you know, at the division three level, we're not getting a lot of those. So we got to have like more guys that are just eager and hungry to, to take that extra 90 feet, um, and build that into them and encourage that in them. And then when those mistakes do happen, okay, great. Like let's use this as a teaching tool for the rest of the team. So then we can take those mistakes and kind of whittle away at them, um, as we get further and further. So, um, now keep in mind, I'm not advocating for just to come like a freaking free for all out there. Right. Uh, but you, you kind of have to pick your battles, especially with the, the personnel that you have and the level of expertise that you have on the field. Um, but I do think like as, as a head coach and there's been years where this has worked really well and there's been years where this is crash and burn. Um, I do think that like for us at the college game, if we're recruiting those players, we obviously like something about them. We should give them opportunities on the field um, to figure that out for themselves and to give them a little bit of freeway and, and freedom to make mistakes. Now, are there, are there certain cues that you're, you're kind of teaching throughout the year? I mean, you talk about base stealing um, in particular. Is there a number? Are you trying to give guys that number, whether it's a leg time, a catcher time, uh, a tell? I mean, are, are those things that are really taught to where, hey, when I get on first base, I'm looking for this. And are you giving that those numbers to those guys so they know it in real time um, so they have the information to make their decision? Or um, is it up to them to kind of figure it out on the fly? No, that's correct. So, um, like, when we talk about, uh, you know, straight steel, for example, you get your time to play, you get your pop time. You figure out if that kid, based on, like, what his individual runtime is, if that fits into the window and then kind of apply it to the situation. Um, so yes, tells could go into that. You obviously have time to plate. Um, you have pitcher tendencies, you have catcher tendencies. Um, all those things we're trying to educate our guys on to, to kind of help them make the best, the best decision. Um, but I guess inevitably, right? Like you can, and we all know these kids, God bless them. Right. Um, you can give these kids all the information they want and then somebody's still going to blow through it and make an incorrect decision sometime. And, and we can, we can all learn from that. Right. And that's, that's okay. So, um, but yes, like to, to your point, there, there is a good amount of like coaching on the back end of just being like, Hey, based on a scouting report, like this is what we know about the guy, you know, um, UCLA slide step, what you step over, like whatever they have that information and they can kind of, kind of apply it based on, based on the situation and, and with the coach's help. So I'm not saying that we just don't give signs ever. Cause that's not true at all. Um, it's just, we want our guys to feel prepared when they step in the box and confidence to make confident to make a decision, um, based on the things we've practiced and the skills that they've been given and, and taught at practice. You mentioned it. Time, the time for your runner, knowing your runner's times. Mm -hmm. And we've done this in the past. I've been done in a couple of years, but how do you, how do you get your specifically the, the times of your runners? Do you, like, do you get to a standard lead? Um, do you stop it when they slide, hit the bag? How does that process of, 
identifying your runners going to play? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a conservative lead, right? So like, you know, nine, nine, 10 foot lead. Um, and then, yeah, basically get a break on, on first step. So whatever it is, drop step, crossover, whatever they do, um, go on first movement and then you stop it when they slide into the bag. Um, and that's kind of how we get a general idea. Um, we typically, we've done it in the past. This has worked really well. We do it when we're doing like a, a pitcher pick series too. So like we'll tell the pitcher to mix in a pick or go to the plate. So at least like the look that the, the base runner is getting isn't just like a three, two, one, boom, you're off. It's actually like there's a decision that has to be made. Yes, yes, no, no, whatever it is before they take off and go and then you can get the time that way. That's worked fairly well for us, I think. Good. Well, well, we'll pivot here a little bit, uh, hitting the recruiting, um, the the joys of recruiting, especially a small school, Division three school. <laughs> we all have we all have joys and, and problems as those things go. But um, give your platform. Uh, talk about who you recruit at Whitworth. Um, you know who, who who the type of players you're looking for. I mean, I know the the easy answer that we get this question all the time. Like who who do you recruit? And it's good players, right? And and uh, it's not Division three players, not Division one players. It's good players, right? And then you work backwards to figure out if they fit your school. But but who who do you specifically recruit? What are you looking for uh, to be a pirate for you? I think, I think personally, like as a recruiter, um, there's two routes you can take. You, you want to take the, you want to recruit the kid um, that you know as a coach you can help. So like as a pitch guy, right, when, when you go out and you watch a pitcher throw, um, Maybe he has a carrying pitch that you really struggle to teach. You know, maybe maybe he has an excellent slider or a curveball or a changeup or whatever. And you, as a pitch guy, are like, man, I, I can't develop a cutter to save my life, right? So when I see a kid throwing like a legitimate cutter, it doesn't matter how fast it is. I'm like, oh, cool. We might be able to leverage that. Um, so I think a part of me is is when I'm looking at pitchers, looks for things that um, one, I I'm not good at teaching for me. Uh, pitch design is something that I'm still trying to figure out and trying to grind through and go. Um, so when I see guys that have a really good arsenal or, or really good, you know, spin on pitches, field, field to spin, those type of things, that kind of attracts me. Um, the, the other end of that is you can look for something that I think you know is a strength of yours as a coach and that you can leverage. Um, so, you know, for me personally as a strength guy, um, anytime you get one of those little scrawny guys that has a clean, you know, quick arm, clean arm action, you can kind of guarantee in the four years that he's in college, um, you put a barbell on his back and tell him he can eat all he wants in the cafeteria. Hopefully some good things will happen there physically. And so, you know, that guy will kind of pan out for you as well. Um, but I, I guess like, it depends on who you are, but I would say like that player, that high school player, one has to have some sort of carrying tool, you know, whether it's speed, power, um, a combination of, of all those things. Like you have to be able to look at them as a head coach and say, listen, you would fit into our system in this way. And this is how I would be able to make you better. Um, so, and again, that depends on each coach has his own little kind of, you know, diamond set up and depth chart set up in his office where, you know, you kind of have the corner outfield profile guy who, you know, all you really need to do to be a great corner outfielder is not let the ball go to the wall and hit 350 every year. And you're going to find your way into the lineup. Um, and then you kind of, you know, whittle it back into the skill positions where you're looking up into the middle of the diamond and then you have a bunch of guys that have to have kind of a much broader skill set from a, a speed, quickness, d defensive 
um, part. So I think all those different positions and different roles, you're looking for different things as a recruiter. Um, but I think um, one one constant I think that we kind of look for, and this is not a, a like a physical skill set by any means, um, but is just some sort of motor, like a, a, a love and a passion to be out there. And, and whether that's, you know, whether that's displayed in the dugout with a dude that's really extroverted and, you know, cheering on his teammates and giving them crap and just out there joking and having a good time, or maybe that's the kid that's pretty serious. Um, but you know, like he's running hard 90, he's fritting on and off the yard. Um, there's gotta be something in there um, from a motor standpoint that you know that you can work with and develop that shows that that kid loves the game. Um, just because I think all of us would know, right? We, we've all kind of had the kid that maybe wanted to play baseball because it's just kind of a status thing as opposed to an actual like, hey, you get to be a part of a team and you get to work really hard to go towards a common goal and be a part of something a little bit bigger than you. We've all had that kid who just wants to put the announcement on Twitter, be a part of the team, you know, kind of kind of get the gear, which at our level is kind of a joke, to be honest with you. We don't really have that great of gear, but it's just kind of that mentality of, of um, you know, you know what, like, yeah, I earned this, this is cool, but I don't, it's, it's fine. I don't really love it. Um, so for me, I'm always looking for kids that, that really do care and have a passion and, and that communicates or expresses itself w- within the context of the game somehow. You know, coach, is that something that you have a kind of a bullet point list that, you know, if I get one thing out of this, okay, I got interest in this kid, I got to dive in, or is it more that, okay, I need two or three of these things to even take my time. And, you know, each coach to his own, but if you got some coaches out there, if the kid's not giving me 85, don't even waste my time. So for you, what, what kind of, is it one, multiple, how does that work in your recruiting order? Yeah, I think, um, I think that the benefit of like social media technology and just kind of how, especially in the Northwest, like how connected everybody is. Typically when you, you go to these recruiting events, you have a pretty good idea of, of who you're there to watch or, or what they do well or what they could bring to your program. So um, I, I think it depends on if you're kind of like, you're going out to a random high school game. I think your list is going to be kind of wide open. You're not going to have any bullet things. You're just there watching. You're like, Hey, like I'm just, I'm looking for something to kind of capture my attention or, or, you know, something interesting to happen here. Whereas you go and you get a little bit later in the summer, maybe you've seen a kid once, you're trying to make a decision on him. You're going to have a little bit more specific criteria for what he has to, to meet because, um, and I go back to this all the time as a recruiter, right? It's like, well, if you see him one time and you're not convinced they could play for you, why would you go see him a second time? Uh, <laughs> but that, that just seems to get more and more complicated as, as I go on in this and I get older in this. So, um, yeah, I think it just depends on the number of times you've seen them. And then do you have any any sort of reference? Have you seen video? Um, has a coach called you about the guy? Because if that's the case, right, they, they're there and they obviously do something well. So you're going to be a little bit more, um, I guess, kind of lax in, in, in what you're looking for, what you're really going. But honestly, like, I don't really have a list. Um, you're, you're again, you're you're looking for tools, you're, you're looking for um, maybe those secondary things or those, those, those attributes of, of seeing a kid on a team that you really like and you really love and that you're drawn to. Um, but most times when you're out recruiting and you see a good player, it's a pretty easy decision to make. You know, it's like, oh man, that kid runs like a deer. I want him to be on my team, circle his name, move on to the next guy, you know what I mean? So, um, and for us, like we're blessed because we don't have to make that decision when they're 14 years old, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, he, he could come here next year and play for him. So that's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. 
Also, Coach, kind of can transition a little bit here. We also do get a lot of players that listen to this podcast. And so what kind of advice would you have for the, that particular thrower out there that's trying to, you know, increase his velo, you know, build his lower half, uh, just certain things that, you know, you see social media has always been big. You, you see guys are running a, you know, a 10-foot, 15-foot sprint and throwing the ball as hard as they can into a net, and they put it out there in social media and says, hey, I hit 102, you know, and they think every coach is going to be caught, you know, lighting up their phone. But <laughs> I hear this all the time on the high school side, and I think a lot of the parents have a misunderstanding of that, and we do get a lot of parents that listen on in. And so uh, what kind of advice would you have for that particular player and as well as parent that's listening um, to us today that, you know, these are the things that will, you know, help in order for your child. I, I understand. I mean, God has made us all different types of sizes and, you know, different abilities, but there's things that we can improve on to get to that next elite level. Awesome. I think, I think the first thing, and this is just based on kind of what I've seen as the kids that have come into our program and um, just, just kind of a, a little bit of a, sh a shift in mentality is um, we're, we're losing kids with high baseball IQ. Um, we're, you know, the, the player that comes to us now is less polished from from a um, baseball IQ standpoint than they were eight to ten years ago. And I don't know I, I, I don't know why that is exactly, but that's just kind of a shift I'm seeing here. I've seen I've heard from other coaches that they're getting a better product of player. So I think it just really does depend on where who you're talking to or where you're looking to. Um, so and, and the best way I can kind of break this down is like, those kids need to be students of, of their high school programs or other high school coaches, you know, the cuts and relay stuff, the plate discipline stuff, all that stuff really matters. Um, especially when you get to the college game and you're, you're competing with guys that might have a similar physical attribute or a similar skill set to you. Those are the things that really kind of separate you and, and catch college coaches eye when they go to write a lineup. So I would say that the kids need to be eager to learn, to have an open mind and need to be students of the game again no matter where they're coming from um that's something that you don't get in kind of the private sector um you know when you're paying somebody to do pitching lessons or whatever right that's a little bit of that instruction that baseball school stuff that, that you're not going to get there um and you, you got to find another way to get that so whether that's watching a lot of baseball or or talking to your your high school coach about it or just becoming a you know a fan become a fan of the game of baseball again and you'll pick up on those things I say that's the first thing. The second thing I think that a lot of people miss the boat on, and this is my own personal preference, um, we're really eager to pay $100 an hour for a pitching lesson, um, and we're less eager to pay $100 for a month of a gym membership. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of really great strength and conditioning resources and really great strength and conditioning coaches out there that would do those kids that maybe aren't multi-sport athletes a lot of good by going and dedicating themselves to the weight room for four or five months. Um, and I'm sure Kelly could kind of agree with this too, but you know, when you get to the college game, it's the physicality piece that, that really does end up kind of separating you. Um, obviously you have guys on different sides of the spectrum, but you know, I, I see a lot of high school pitchers that that want to throw harder, um, and a lot of times the, the the answer for you throwing harder isn't you know pitching in multiple tournaments and warm weather states into this, into January. It's giving your body rest and recovery and exposing it to a new stimulus with somebody who knows what they're doing. 
Um, and so I, I think that would be one area. Um, and most of us now, like especially in Eastern Washington, there's a lot of these different places that come up that, that offer these services to kids in strength and conditioning and in pitching. And sometimes they're blending a little bit of both. I would just encourage kids and parents to um, do their research and then kind of inter not interview these coaches, but sit down and talk with them to see if that's something that they'd be willing to do and, and um, invest in because it is an investment. And, and I think um, that's part of the issue uh, is people have to decide where your resources go. But um, for a lot of those kids who, who might have been playing a lot of baseball and haven't seen a velo jump, um, I would say the weight room is the weight room and the kitchen are usually two really, really good investments in, in, in allowing that to happen a little bit easier. All right, fans, that's the end of part one of our interview with CJ Perry. I'm sure you loved it as much as we did recording this interview and coach Perry from Whitworth university in Spokane, Washington, please go out and share it, share it to someone that might not have heard this one before heard of the fungal banner. And let's keep sharing the great thing that we have going up here in the Pacific Northwest is the people that we have and the information that we can share with one another. Hopefully you caught the last episode with Todd Gibson, head coach of Ellensburg high school. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Share it with some more people out there. And like I said in the beginning, check us out. Uh, go to allstatebaseball.com slash clinics to get signed up for the Coaches Clinic in Moses Lake, Washington at the Six facility. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to catch up with coaches from all over the state. I'm excited for that Friday night social at the 10 Pin Brew House and then hotel available there at the 10 Pin Inn and Suites. Let them know you're going to be there for with the Washington State Coaches Association. Let them know you're going to be attending the Coaches Clinic at the 6 for a, a discount room first come first serve so if you want to be close to the action i'd get on there and get your room reserved now i just reserved mine today so looking forward to see all of you thanks again to coach perry and thanks again for safeguard out of the tri-cities for the fun fungal banner swag and some of it's going to be a, a door prize at that coach's clinic so if you want to get your hands on some i suggest you get to that clinic bring your staff for one last retreat before the season starts big thank you for coach perry and stay tuned for next episode we'll be releasing next week Part two of the interview as we dive into some pitching with Coach Perry from Whitworth University. Again, take care.